Technology is changing rapidly, and it is a major investment to learn a new skill, technique, or technology. Our knowledge gained is so hard fought that it is only natural to rely on it dearly. But it's a mistake to hold on to this knowledge for too long. You must be open to new ideas. In this episode of MobyCast, Chris shares with John a personal story about learning and growth. After being blindsided by relying on a familiar pattern, a valuable lesson is learned. One summed up well by author Stephen King when he implores us to kill your darlings. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. And, you know, we just saw each other in person yesterday in the great town of Denver, Colorado. That was pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were saying that you think Denver is kind of a foodie town. Yeah, I, I would absolutely stick by that. So I'm kind of usually, I'm just always blown away by, it seems like on every street corner, there's like this really like American bistro style restaurant that just does food and bar just like really 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 well and for me it's such a it's a little bit of a head scratcher because whenever i do visit denver downtown denver it seems eerily quiet and Mm -hmm. really doesn't have nearly the amount of foot traffic that i would expect in in such a large city and so i'm just kind of like where is everyone? But then there's all these like amazing like restaurants and bars and nightlife and stores and shopping and everything else. And it's like, obviously the people are there to support this, but it's like, how did they get there? (laughs) Like that's, that's what I don't understand. I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, well, maybe we just have a little bit more space per square foot per person than most places. And that's just what we do in Denver. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, it, <laughs> it, it could be. Um, it could be that the uh, wide streets. You know, you imagine like driving driving cattle down the wide roads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big open um, spaces. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but. You know, I think I think I have an actual answer for you. So here's my actual answer. Downtown Denver historically was never considered like a place to live. It was a place to go in and work. And people lived outside of it. I mean, maybe like in recent history, like, you know, since the concept of suburbs can't even came about. And so, you know, it has some big apartment buildings, but not that many, like compared to the number of just big old office buildings that there are. And so, you know, if it, whenever you're there and it's not people showing up to work time or people having lunch time, it would probably seem pretty empty. And and like if you were to add in like more living quarters, like more actual living units, um, I think it would look a lot busier. And I think that the cities that you think of as big American cities, like, you know, even Seattle, and but especially San Francisco, New York City, Boston, they have more people living in their city area, their urban area. I think that's probably it. Yeah, I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It still doesn't, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it feels like it's still like, pretty quiet like eight to yeah. f- eight to five as well so it's like um, you know <laughs> yeah. i would get it if it was like in the evenings it was like ah, oh, this feels like the the business district of a of a large city which is usually mm-hmm. pretty much dead right um mm-hmm. but yeah it's huh. it i think, it, I think it, you're definitely onto something there 
We'll have to ask the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my home city either. I live up in the mountains, so I can't really speak as a, de- as a true Denverite. Um, so yeah, let's, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about learning, but that sounds boring. So let's, let's talk about it from the perspective of making mistakes. <laughs> um, and that's something that everybody can relate to, I think. I, I've definitely made some mistakes that are related to what I maybe should have learned. And, you know, if I had learned the thing, I wouldn't, I would have been able to avoid a mistake. So, so this episode, we're calling it Kill Your Darlings, I think, right, Chris? That, would, that maybe that's the, the, uh, the subheading, if you will. I think the, uh-huh. uh, maybe the, uh, the clickbait title is, you know, your most important skill. Yes, yes, that's right. I clicked over to the actual outline that tells me what to say. And it says right on the top, your most important skill. It doesn't say right on the top, kill your darlings. <laughs> right, but kill your darlings is definitely like pretty catchy too, right? Like, hmm, what does that mm-hmm. mean, right? And we'll get mm-hmm. into that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, so kick us off. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a little bit of a different episode of, of MobiCast, right? So we're not really going to be diving deep into some technology or talk about some methodology or, or um, way of doing things necessarily. Instead, this is kind of like let's take a step back and um just kind of relate something that really hit home recently while working on an episode of MobyCast. and it was one of those things like for me personally it just it really just kind of like blew my mind a bit um it really caught me off right got, caught me off guard um and it really just drove home this point that we keep, i mean i keep saying this right like Tech, the, the rate of, of change with technology is just accelerating, right? It's, it's really, especially in the cloud space, be, you know, between the public cloud providers, we talk about like just AW, mostly we talk about AWS on this, on this podcast, and that's the one that we're yes. most familiar with, but they are just launching new things at just a breakneck speed. They have armies of really talented, smart people that are all going and, and building lots of great things. And so on, you know, on one hand, wow, that's awesome. Like, look at look at all this technology and look how fast things are evolving. But on the other hand, it's like, holy moly, how do I, how can anyone keep up with this anymore? And right. if you think about yeah. it, like, this is new, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it hasn't been like this in the past. And so I think, I mean, this really represents like a fundamental difference like in the past like sure technology changed and evolved but it wasn't evolving or changing at the rate that it is now um i really do i mean think about like how often now like just new languages are being developed and new frameworks and new tools and just new open source projects and yeah at joke pace at, at a pace that's so fast it's just funny it's like <laughs> yeah oh, cool new framework yeah that's yeah. great you know let me add that to the to-do list that i never get to yeah absolutely. yes it's joke pace and you're right about one thing chris it's the it's it's not just that it's fast it's that the rate of change is ever increasing it's it's like every year that goes by it gets faster and it gets faster not just a little faster, but noticeably faster. Um, so yeah, the, the just everything you're saying about keeping up with stuff is just so true. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, for me, like what this kind of reinforces is just like you need to be continually learning, and you also kind of you definitely have to be taking ownership of your own personal growth because I mean I really do like the game has changed. 
it's no longer um, because everything is changing so quickly. It's no longer where you can just say like I'm in the the, the education mode of my life, right? AKA college, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know some kind of like formal training, and then after that, I'm a, I'm out in the world, right? And I'm doing the work and practicing and a practitioner. And like in the past, it was like uh, you know you might every once in a while go for some training, right? Or um, whatever but it it really wasn't like a big part important part of the job right like it just you were really just doing the work and you were picking up stuff along the way kind you know kind of and it's like oh there's this maybe there's this this new thing out there like i mean when the interwebs came along right that was new we Mm -hmm. kind of you know learned about it but even then like the i mean think about how long it took just for the for the internet to evolve i mean we we started making websites in like what, 94, 95. And yeah. we didn't have Ajax until 2006. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, think, yeah. think about that. That was, it took almost 10 years before we had asynchronous JavaScript in our web yeah. pages. Um, versus like in the last five years, we have self-driving cars <laughs> and we're talking about having flying taxis. And all the well, computer vision. We've always been talking about having flying taxis. I know, but it's like it's now it's like this real it's it's becoming like this real thing. So it's yeah. I just I think anyhow, like the rules have changed, the game has changed, and at the end of the day, like I think the really um kind of like the aha thing here was like learning you're never done with it. It's 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 gonna be just this continual process and it, you really are in this this um this this feedback loop, right? This this cycle of learn, practice, fail, go back again, learn, practice, fail, and mm-hmm. and whatnot. So so all this was just this really just kind of hit me in the face really hard um, recently when I was preparing for one of these these Mobicast episodes, and in particular, it was for the the mini series we did on um, VPC Ninja. Right, so this is episodes eighty nine, ninety, ninety two. We skipped because um, ninety one was a was an AWS reinvent show. But in that three series podcast um, episodes, we talked about like, hey, how do you set up public versus private subnets in your VPC? Make sure that like stuff that doesn't need to be internet facing is on the is on the private subnets. Once you do that, though, it's like, hey, connecting to these things becomes you got to come up with different ways of doing it. And, you know, you can no longer just simply SSH into those, into those machines that are those, those resources that are on the private subnets, right? Cause there's again, no pub, they're not listening on the, on the public and, you know, public internet. So, so my intention was, okay, let's, after we kind of talk about how to set up, you know, private, uh, private subnets inside your VPC, then let's talk about how do you go about accessing that? And so, you know, for me, my my typical go to solution for doing this has always been okay VPN connection. Right, and I think that I want to just underline this because in the, in the all the specifics that you just listed, the this might have gotten lost in those specifics. It's like the whole reason for doing the episode was like, hey, I know something about setting up, you know, getting access to private subnets that a lot of people might struggle with. I'm going to tell them about that. I know how to set up. VPN connections to private subnets. That's a that's a thing that I've done over and over again. I'm going to share it with Mobicast audience. Like that, like you felt like you already knew, and so you're going to make an episode around your your knowledge. You don't have to learn too much because you know how to do this. Yeah, I mean, it was it was you know obviously the motivation behind this was like, hey, this is actually not 
intuitive, easy to do. It's, I mean, it's not super sophisticated, but it's also, it's one of those things. I'm sure if you went and did a survey of like how many folks out there that are using public cloud, did they really separate their VPC into public versus private subnets and, you know, or was, you know, all this was just kind of like a stumbling block. Maybe they kind of know they should, but they're not because it's just a big pain in the butt and they don't know how to set it up Mm -hmm. or they just haven't taken the time to go and do the research or whatnot. So, so yeah, as it was like, Hey, this is something that everyone really should do. Um, it can be kind of difficult and, and daunting if you haven't done it before. So let me kind of just walk through like something that's really worked well um, and take away some of that mystery, right? And kind of show you that eh, it's, it's actually not too not too hard, right? So that was the whole impetus behind this this series. And so again, it's like, hey, a really typical go-to solution that I've used quite a few times, right? Is like, okay, let's do a VPN um, solution for this. So we can, using a VPN, we can access those private resources. And many different ways to, to, to go about that. Um, you can do hardware VPNs or you can um, do software only. So for the episode, it's like, hey, let's keep things simple. Let's go with the software only VPN approach. And so with AWS, it was, you know, hey, as far like all my experience had been like, you know, you, what their offerings were. If you wanted to use a software only VPN, that always kind of meant like you're going to go use some third party software solution. Right. And even like AWS documentation pointed you this way. Uh, so there's they have the AWS marketplace where there's a bunch of prepackaged um, software that's just ready to be spun up on onto a AC2 and you can pay for it through the marketplace. You can either buy it outright via licenses or you can rent it. Um, they list things like Checkpoint and Microsoft as as options, um, you know, as recommendations for this. And then there's also the open source um, options out there as well. So I hadn't done one of the open source options before. So looked at two in particular. There was OpenVPN had its access server product. And there was another one called SoftEther. And internally here at Kelsis, we had looked at SoftEther before and made a decision to go use that I think primarily because it's free, it's completely open source, and there's just no cost associated with it. Um, when I was doing some research into this, it kind of really became clear that OpenVPN has much better support, and and um, it's just much more um, aligned with using it with AWS versus SoftEther. The some of the images out there for using on AWS were really out of date. And it was going to be a lot of work to even just try to get that stood up on AWS. So I said, hey, let's go do this, this open VPN solution. And so I went through that process, right? So it took me a few hours to go and get the software installed on EC2, stand it up, configure it, lock it down, and taking you know, copious notes along the way, right? Because I knew I was going to be kind of walking through the, the high-level bullet points in, in this podcast episode. And so within a few hours, had this up and running. It's like, okay, cool, done, ready to go. Um, so, but, you know, I wanted to do some final fact checking, right? And I was kind of, you know, making sure all the I's were dotted, the T's were crossed in my notes. And I wanted to make sure I had the right terminology, you know, that AWS uses for each one of these products and services and that I was referencing as, as, as alternatives and whatnot. And so I was, I was looking at the AWS documentation as part of this fact checking. And 
when I did, I, I actually came across a page where it was listing VPN choices, and I and I saw two that looked different. Right, I hadn't seen them before, um, and in particular, saw there's AWS site to site VPN, and that was something I hadn't seen in the past before. And then there's other this other thing called AWS client VPN, and I was like, huh, <laughs> what's, you know, what's, what's this? And so I look into it a little bit more, and it turns out it looks like AWS site-to-site VPN. That is a revamped, renamed version of what, they, what AWS previously offered as, a, as their VPN service, which was called AWS Managed VPN. So it's like, okay, AWS Managed VPN has now become site-to-site VPN. And, and so this is a solution, and that solution has always been basically for um, on-prem locations where you actually have like a, a piece of hardware that you can update the routing in it to connect to an endpoint in a VPC, right? So there's, it's, for, it's for some physical location to connect over a VPN into a VPC. And so, so that's why mm-hmm. that requires some amount of hardware and it's not a software-only solution for like remote access users, which is really what I, what I wanted here. And... So that was site-to-site VPN. It's like, okay, fine. Um, not too different there. Um, but like, wait, what's this client VPN? And that's when it was like just mind-blown um, because, you know, it turns out AWS client VPN is this new offering. It's a fully managed service for a software-only VPN solution. And not only that, it's, it's basically built, it's native support for open VPN clients. Right. So it's like at first glance, it feels like every all this this work that I've gone through with, you know, standing up open VPN myself. It's like it looks like there's just a checkbox here in the AWS console for just standing that up immediately. Right. Through this this new thing called client VPN. You're calling it new, but it's 2018. Like back then there wasn't even like uh, Fargate for EKS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing, right? So th- this that's is the point, right? Is, I mean, it's you know, and as far as like services and um, technologies go, I mean, I think still, if it's something within the first year, you can still probably call it new or newish, especially the bigger pieces, right? But yeah, I mean, still, it, it had been out there um, for ten months um, mm-hmm. when I was going through this process, right? But mm-hmm. I hadn't heard it, and and. And not only that, like all all the other documentation I looked at was the AWS documentation had been referring to managed VPN, right? Which is the what it, what site to site VPN really used to be. So even all you know the white papers and the docs hadn't been scrubbed to reflect the new state of of the world and the VPN right. offerings. Right, and probably another thing is that you know. Google has a tendency to be the search tool for AWS documentation, right? Because like AWS's own internal search around their documentation is not so hot. Mm-hmm, sure. So you just Google stuff, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And and it takes a, around that amount of time, like a year, for Google to pick up on some stuff. Like, oh, you know, all the you're Googling AWS VPN, you're going to get all that old stuff for a long time. Before you finally start getting the new stuff, mm-hmm. or before it starts bubbling up, you know, before it gets into that first page, right? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I was just 
kind of it just I almost you know really kind of like stumbled upon this um, mm-hmm. and it was really um, you know like I said it just it, it really took me by surprise I was like it's like I can't believe like this exists and I really didn't even, you know didn't know about it um, you know how, how did I miss this and kind of thinking about it it's like you know there's really a couple lessons learned here um, and one was like okay I hadn't been vigilant about reading the updates on the AWS What's New page, right? <laughs> so if I had gone, you know, made this like a weekly thing, right, to go to the What's New page and skim the 500 updates that happened during that, during that week, right? Um, I'm sure this would have caught my eye, right, to see like, because yeah. it's something that I'd be interested in. And, it's relevant and, yeah, to you, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. So had I been doing that on a regular basis, right, I, I, I would have noticed that. And so that's that's one lesson learned. But I think the bigger lesson here was the reliance, the the almost the hubris of relying on this familiar pattern for solving a familiar problem, right? So it's kind of like if you have a ham- if you have a hammer, then everything looks like a nail, and it's kind of like that warm, cozy security blanket of like almost like on autopilot for implementing solutions like we we all do this right like we right we see things as how we have seen them in the past and mm-hmm. we go and apply what we've done in the past um right. to, to go solve it and i think again you know 10 20 years ago there was much less danger in that because things weren't changing as quickly and i but i think now like again the game, the game rules have been rewritten, and this is a really dangerous thing, right? You right. can't, you know. And this was just a specific cho- software choice. Like at the end of the day, it's still the same thing. Like, well, are you going to use AWS's client VPN or are you going to use this third-party one? You're still putting in a VPN. I mean, what if it was like, oh, have you not heard of ABCs? Like ABCs are the new way to talk to mm-hmm. private subnets. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been really like whoa. Yeah. And there, there kind of is that actually too. Like there the is. whole. Yeah, there is, yeah, there, there is and there is that, that that will be for a for a future. There there, <laughs> there is this concept of like, well, depends on what you need your VPN for, um, yeah. what you're using it for. You really may not need it if all you really are using it for is for SSHing into machines. There's a better way of doing that, right? You mm-hmm. don't need a VPN to do that, um, right? But right. you know, what if you want to connect to an RDS machine using something like um, Navicat, and your RDS machine is on a on a private subnet? Well. In that particular case, then you probably do need a VPN, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. You, you can't use some of these other things like Session Manager um, to 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 do that. And then I just want to crank open this wider question because here we are. Whole whole thing on MobyCast is you know let's let's try to give back to the community a little bit. We're we're seasoned software people. Um, you know, maybe even some people would call us experts. I think I saw some. Tweet or comment? No, it was like actually an, a MobyCast review that said, "I dare you to try to find somebody more knowledgeable than Chris Hickman." Oh, I, 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 I can, find, <laughs> I can find, I can find those people. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> anyway, that, like I, I kind of joke about that, but the the thing is, like, isn't the whole point that we're supposed to be sharing our knowledge? And and it's kind of like. Whoa, our knowledge is is kind of rusty. It like like by the time we even get it, it starts to get rusty and old. 
Um, and so our knowledge is like not we're like what is the definition of an expert? It's not necessarily that you know all this stuff about all this stuff. It's really that you just have this like body of understanding that comes from um, you know your experience in the field. And like this is a lesson that that you kind of learned that you've learned before, I'm sure, but it just kind of caught you off guard. Like oh, I need to. I need to sort of like let my darlings live a little less long than I was before. Maybe, maybe that's kind of what you're learning here. Uh, but, but that like, yeah, like this MobyCast is not like, Oh, let us tell you all the, all the specific things that we know because we we're so experienced. It's more like, you know, we're actually learning a lot of the time in order to produce an episode. We're actually having to learn what's new and what's up to date because, you know, it's like with anything, if you were writing software, you always have to learn what's new and what's up to date, whether you're doing a podcast episode or writing software. Absolutely. It, it, and this kind of gets into, you know, again, that deeper like exploration of just what is the, the takeaway from this. But, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm when I was kind of digesting it, you know, a quote from Stephen King really stuck out at me um, that I had I had seen previously. And so the quote is from from Stephen King says kill your darlings kill your darlings even when it breaks your egocentric little scribbler's heart kill your darlings and so what he's referring to there is he's he's saying like hey be ruthless in the editing of your prose uh-huh. right so whenever uh-huh. you whenever you're writing like you have to just be just just ruthless in the editing of it and you may you know want to hold on to some of those lines or some of those words or expressions or whatnot, but really look hard and, you know, you're going to have to kill some of those darlings, um, in order to produce the, the best work. And so he's talking about writing and editing, but I think this quote like works, works really, really well for us in the, in the tech industry. But instead of the, our writing that we need to be ruthless on, it needs to be the patterns and practices that we hold on to. Right. Mm-hmm. And so those are our, those become our darlings, but we really do need to be prepared to kill them, to let them mm-hmm. go. Right. Um, yeah. Because they're, they're just, they're no longer best practice. Right. Or there may be a, a better way of doing it. And the lifetime of those darlings is becoming, I think, can become less and less. So. And it's hard, right? Because it's like, it's such an investment to learn new skills and techniques. Um, you know, it's hard fought knowledge gained. And it's it's only natural for us to want to hold on to that dearly. Um, it becomes like that security blanket. It become it's our core set of practices and patterns, right? It, it just, fe- I mean, think about it. I mean, it's like, it, again, it's like this, this natural thing for, I think, everyone where it's very seductive to kind of solve things on autopilot without causing the pain of thinking, if that makes sense. Right. Like it's, yeah, yeah. it's cause it's harder, right. If you actually have to like, I mean, I mean, this is, it's just, this is just human nature, right? This is why people like we have people, you know, they code by just going to stack overflow, right. To go find the mm-hmm. answer. Right. So they can copy paste mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. cause that's easier than it is to go and actually think about, okay, what's the algorithm here? Like, how does this work? I just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but like, I, I think that the, the thing about this is, is that the killing of your darlings has always been the thing and, and it's always been the right answer and it's always been hard to keep up, but it's, it's like true at a more meta level than, and I'm, I'm going to define what I mean by this 
than ever before. Like, like in the 2000s to 2005 or so, maybe the thing, the darlings that you were killing were like, Oh, I always use my, you know, my go-to, uh, like if, like case logic or like, uh, like the way that you code, like the certain patterns that you use, like you had a certain way of doing things. And like the thing that you had to learn then was like, Oh no, there's these new, new things called design patterns. And the way that the way that you should write your code is like kind of different now. Um, so get rid of those old bad habits of how you have like these huge if, if, if then statements. And then in the like mid, um, mid aughts, it became even bigger than that. It was like, don't just like get better at programming your one language. Like actually everybody should learn a new language every year. That's like the new thing. You have to learn a new programming language every year. And, and people were like, I'm going to learn Ruby and I'm going to learn Haskell and I'm going to learn Lisp. And like people are writing to each other. This is my language this year. And like now, like if that's kind of like, ah, oh God, why would you learning, you know, bother learning a new programming language every year? Cause that's just simply not enough. Like you have to learn now. It's like, Every year, you've got to learn a whole new way of thinking about creating software, like an entirely new paradigm for creating software. Last year was, you know, two years ago, it was like containers. And now you've got to learn serverless. Like, oh my God, the whole way we're approaching this is changing. And it's not just like, hope you learned Lisp this year, right? Yeah. So like, it's like bigger every year. What's, and I don't know what's next, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we've talked about micro VMs. Mm-hmm. We, we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about AI on Mobicast that much, but but like some of these new things that are circling, like that, they could make it so that even even like learning, you know, what we're doing, learning serverless or learning containers, is going to feel like, oh, that was small potatoes. Like, look at this new huge thing you have to kind of get your head around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I think you know, again, kind of like now coming full circle and you know, kind of the title for this is your most important skill. And I mean, I think we've said this before, it's, it's no secret, but really, I mean, the most important skill that you can have is the ability to learn new things quickly. Right. And, and Mm -hmm. all the mindset that goes along with that. So again, you have to get, get rid of this idea that learning takes place exclusively during a formal education period. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you're now into a, a different phase, right? Instead, it's like you have to embrace this new reality that learning is, it really is a continual process and you're never going to be done with your education. And, you know, you were talking about before how like, you know, hey, it's like, you know, technology is changing quickly and like even, you know, something that, you know, you may, you know, maybe knowledge that you got even six months ago or three months ago is actually maybe no longer even current. Right. Um, and so, mm-hmm. um, again, just given how fast things are changing. So knowledge is, is really much less of a currency here. Right. And instead critical thought, um, the application of knowledge is much more important and coupling that with the ability to learn to learn, to teach yourself and to learn new things quickly, right? Like that's what you really need in order to, to do well, to do well here. So, so right. you need to be flexible with your opinions. You can't hold on um, to like, this is the way I've always done things. And this is the way, this is the best way, right? You've got to be flexible. You've got to be open to new ideas. Um, you need to just 
stay curious and you really do need to commit to that growth mindset as opposed to a, a fixed mindset. And I think we, we talked about on, on a previous episode about just the importance of, of education, but in, in training and, and whatnot, but like that growth mindset of like, Hey, I need to continue evolving. Like I, I can't stay static with my thoughts or my knowledge or my, my training or just the way I, I do things. I have to be open and I always need to be growing. You need to be asking yourself like constantly, whether it be like on a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, definitely a yearly basis. Like how have I grown? Like how do I want to grow? Like how have I, cause if you're not growing, you're stagnating and right. like, things are changing so quickly. It's like, <laughs> If you do that for too long, like when you do pop your head up, you're going to be like, whoa, <laughs> like right. everyone, I, like I'm all alone. Like they've all left without me. We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast. And if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode, it can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. We'll send you our weekly super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCast cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. I want to ask you a question, Chris, because I think this will be helpful for some people listening. Um, because you, you know, you've done a pretty good job of keeping up, and um, your skills are not stale. So, I want to get what the the thing I want to get at is how do you decide what to kind of focus on and commit to memory versus what is sort of like um, just in cash that you might flush, right? And you know, one example of something that that. Maybe a couple of years ago would be something like, well, that's something you need to commit to memory versus now you think about it. It's like, oh, maybe that should be cash stuff. Is like if you look at SQS and some of the esoteric rules around SQS. The SQS is AWS's simple queue, um, simple queuing system. Service. Yeah. <laughs> Service. Whatever. Service. See, system. that's committed. That's committed to, to hard memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, which maybe it shouldn't be. Right. But anyway. No. <laughs> The names of AWS services are definitely on the exam if you take the exam. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, it has esoteric rules like how long things live and, and before they're considered to be um, either processed or not. And it's got things around whether you're going to get um, things in the order that they went in. And it's got rules around um, what to do with things that failed to process. Um, and all of that stuff is super critical to making a working system. I'm not going to ever argue about that. Like that is, you really have to get those rules correct if you want to make a system that works correctly. But say you're not in the middle of making a system and you are in the middle of like learning about SQS and you may, you know, you're pretty sure that at some point in the future you're going to need to make a system with it. How do you know? You know, and it's, it's with something like that, what, what stuff should be just kind of cache memory versus what should be long-term storage? Yeah, I mean, it, it just depends on what level that you're working at, right? So it's like, you know, it's do you go broad or do you go deep? Um, and it's it's really, it's going to be a combination, but it's it's very important to be broad and to really understand the general concepts for all these various pieces, right? So it's like, and, and there are a lot of pieces. So it could be things like, 
um, caching, like just how does caching work and when do you, when do you use caching versus when do you don't? And, um, what about message queues? Like what are the right, what are the right use cases for message queues versus not? And like, what about event driven programming, um, and event driven models of computing? Like what are good use cases for that? And like, when would you use those kind of things? Um, understanding storage systems and databases and like the differences between SQL versus NoSQL databases and the various flavors of NoSQL. So you don't need to know like um, necessarily that what DAX is for DynamoDB, right? But you should know absolutely like what DynamoDB is, what what advantages it gives over something like say Postgres um, or MySQL or SQL Server and when you should use something like DynamoDB versus versus SQL Server. It's funny because all those examples that you gave are from our future MobyCast episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to be like, and that's what MobyCast has been about over the last few years, but actually, no, you just listed off a bunch of stuff we're about to get to. Right. Yeah, so, so <laughs> what's really important is that you can apply knowledge. It's not having the knowledge, right? It's... I mean, you have to have some amount of that, right? But it's really, how do you apply it? Because just going and like trying to get every detail, memorizing it and committing to memory, I mean, like, what are you going to do with that? Like, if you can't actually apply that and, and use it to build something, like, that's really our superpower, is that, right? If it was just all about memorization of facts and knowledge, like, well, computers can do that. Like, they'll always, yeah, they'll yeah. always beat us in that, right? So, that ability to to synthesize the the knowledge, apply it, um, know how to use it, know to be pragmatic with it. This also goes with you know when do you kill your darlings, right? Like just because something does come out that's new, that is better and an improvement, like it may not make sense for you to adopt it yet. Um, and so, like a good example is like again when I was going through this process of of demonstrating how to set up a, a VPN server, and then. You know, near the end, after I set up my own the the third party Open VPN access server, come across AWS Client VPN, um, it's like, huh, wow, should you know this looks really good from a high level? Um, you know, is this better? And you know, looked into it a little bit more, and 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 actually stood stood one of these instances up myself, and kind of found out like you know, it's as with all things that are new, right? It's there's some warts um, and it's rough around the edges and whatnot. So after looking at it more closely, it was like, oh, you know, I still think like OpenVPN access server is much better for this particular scenario than using AWS client VPN because it's, there's some pretty hardcore constraints with AWS client VPN and then also just cost issues that come in with that as well. Right. So um, it ended up being working out like, hey, yeah, this is new. And, and maybe at some point it's going to make sense to, yeah, this is the right way to go and would recommend using client VPN. But you know, for now, it's this, this open access VPN server is the right way to go. So being able to do that kind of critical thought and that evaluation and know like when is the right time to, to adopt it and what things you, you should go chase versus when you shouldn't. I want to come back though to more specifically how you work because I think that's interesting. Um, so, so Chris, like we, I, I, maybe the the analogy doesn't work for your workflow, but uh, hopefully it makes sense. Like I talked about, like committing something to long term memory versus kind of having it just in in shorter term cache. 
Can you tell me about your actual process for like, how do you actually remember something more permanently versus how, what do you do when you do need to know something for a while, but you know, you don't want to like shove, you know, put it down deep into your long-term memory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so obviously this is, this is, this is different for everyone. Everyone has their own learning styles and whatnot. I mean, I mean for me, like a big part of my learning is just experience, right? Like I definitely like I can read, I I typically, I do have a pretty good memory, right? So um, although it's, it's perhaps not as good as it used to be, but um, there's, there's that, but the actual just, the experience of doing something right really solidifies it. So, and I've kind of realizing as well as like kind of being a bit more seasoned in this industry and having a lot of experience under my belt, it's really starting to pay off dividends. Right. Um, And it makes it easier actually to learn new things because I have like this really core base set of, of just experience. So like I've gone through all the, like I've built my own bee trees from scratch. Um, right. I've, I've looked at the internals of, of databases. I've built caching systems. I've had problems with like message queues and I've had problems with timing outs and, and socket connections overflowing a server and whatnot. I've, studied operating systems and I kind of know, you know, how those work and whatnot. So all of this stuff and and experience kind of builds upon itself and really provides a a good base framework. Um, And as much as technology changes, the, the themes and the concepts for the most part are not changing. Right. So that's not, not quite where I wanted to, what I wanted to get out of you. Like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you've done all this stuff before, and everything, everything new. You know, maybe it reminds you of something you did before. But like, do you write down notes, or do you go like uh, actually like so you read something new and it's got some code in it? Do you actually go, you know, fire up in a code editor and try it out yourself? Like, what what kinds of stuff do you do to really commit something? So it's 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 all of the above. So I do a lot of reading, right, and just skimming. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm looking for things that are. Um, I'm I'm looking for the signal versus the noise. So there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there, but you know there's a few kind of tr- so it could be like highlights from Twitter. It could be some of the um, newsletters that I subscribe to. It could be some of the the news sites um, that I trust. Um, so I'm looking. So I'm spending you know some amount of time. You know maybe thirty minutes to an hour a day just reading and kind of understanding just like what's going on from not just a technology standpoint, but from a business standpoint, um, just industry standpoint, like like what's going on. So there's that. Um, then for things that are really interesting to me that I want to learn more about, then I might go and like go read documentation or just dive deeper into it. If it's really interesting, then yeah, I may go ahead and start looking at code or start playing around and, and, and writing some code you know, myself to, to really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. evaluate it and see what it is. Right. But I gotta yeah. be, I have to be careful. I, I mean, I have, you know, we all have only so many hours in the day um, to do that. So there's, it just becomes like, for me, just how interesting it is. And, and also kind of making that decision of like, how important is this for me? Right. Is right. really important too. So like, yeah. I, I have to 
pick and choose what I'm going to chase. I, I can't chase right, everything. Right. right. Yeah. For me, one of the, the things that I look, I, I want to layer on some of my own uh, things that I do. Um, so I too, I do some of the same skimming, some of the same looking at the same sources over and over looking for things that I start to notice, you know, a lot of people talking about, okay, this is getting a little traction. Um, one thing, one thing that you kind of hinted at, but you didn't say explicitly is that that, that history of experience makes it easier for me to remember things because I can fit them into sort of a framework that I've created in my mind. Like, like what happened really on a recent episode of MobyCast when we were talking about, micro VMs and we were saying, um, you know, we were talking about this, this firecracker process and I was like, aha, that's kind of like run C is to containers. And then as soon as I said that, like then I had just like a nice little place to fit it in to my knowledge. Whereas as in, instead of like a dangling fact that's unrelated to anything else I've ever learned, now it's like a fact that's related to other things that I've learned before. And that really helps me if I can, if I can draw those, those parallels, uh, to my existing knowledge, then it helps me remember the new thing mm-hmm. and understand the new thing. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of like what I was getting at too, is just like, there's, there's so much in the way of just like cycles in this as well. And like what's old is new again. And mm-hmm. so, you know, by understanding like some of these just core concepts and how things work. So again, kind of synchronous versus asynchronous, right? Like just really understanding like what that is. And it's like, there's a lot of stuff that just fits into that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, serverless itself as a technology, right? Like, what does that mean? Um, And define it. But if you're talking about just like say functions, right? Like I'm now my my, my code is now written in functions and those functions are invoked on some hardware that I don't, that I don't, control right but it's not like this radic it, it's it's maybe you have to under, you just have to look at it. it's like well what changes for me right and like what right, are, and right. understand like what the benefits are and how you would right. use it and what it's good for but and that gets to the second point i wanted to make so the first one is like you know tying it to stuff that you already know and then the second one is um for me when i really like even if I don't have a project where I can make use of it, where when I decide it's like okay, I've got to get my hands dirty with this, I've got to try it out. Is when it's different enough from anything I've ever done before that I feel like it's really outside of my comfort zone. So for me, examples of that were the the shift from you know Pascal like languages or like you know just like procedural programming to um, object oriented programming. It was such a different way of thinking. I had to. I had to learn it. Like I just wouldn't have been able to do object-oriented programming without actually doing it. Um, and then the next one, like actually another big one was was I mentioned it earlier on the episode. It was like using design patterns. Like I could read about them, but until I actually tried them out, I couldn't get my head around them. Um, it was like uh, factory pattern. Uh, I don't really know how that's going to help. Like I can't use it until I use it. Um, and then another one was uh, like. Uh, actually, Ruby on Rails, that the whole MVC fr- like kind of magical framework thing, mm-hmm. like I had to, I had to do it in order to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, like Docker, and then the cloud, and then, um, and then actually serverless too. Serverless. Oh, and the, uh, along the way, it was like functional programming. Like uh, you had to, act, had to actually try that to understand what it was about. Um, so those, like those big shift 
and like how things get done that really are kind of so different that you can't be like, oh yeah, object oriented programming is just like if you have a bunch of like, you know, files for each one of your procedures. No, that's not what it's like. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's like at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you couldn't really say it's exactly like this thing that you've done all the time. It's just like slightly different. It's, no, it's pretty new. So that's when I really have to get my hands dirty. Is that true for you too? So for the, for the most part, I mean, I think based upon like just my experience and have seen a lot of things and actually have done a lot of stuff, right? And and just written written lots mm-hmm. of code and built lots of systems. Usually, I'm able to like just by doing some some research into a particular topic, being able to understand like okay, where does this fit? Um, and like mm-hmm. what 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 is this? What is this? What are the benefits? And you know, just where does this fit in my model? And that goes mm-hmm. a long way to kind of solidifying that. And then, of course, there is then the okay, let's get my hands on this and you know roll up the sleeves and get dirty um, to really commit it, you know, to the to 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 memory, if you will, and to yeah. understand the mechanics. So, like, definitely containerization. I mean, at some level, it's like just looking at that and kind of like, what are, what problem are containers solving? Understanding like all the, like going, having gone through a whole, whole lot of pain, right? It's like, okay, I understand like what this is doing, what, what pain is addressing and like, yes, like this is something that makes a lot of sense. And then now adopting that, right? Then there's like the mechanical process of adopting it and then there's a learning curve there, right? It's like, okay, like right. how do I go build one of these container images and how do I run them? And now how do I do things like logging and monitoring, right? Like that kind of stuff. Like you can read about it, but it's like that to really understand how it works, you're, you're going to have to build something. Right. And I think that's it. Like, it's like some of the ones that are big enough that are sea change enough that they're really going to impact like the experience of producing software, the experience of creating something that users can use. They're going to have, like, sometimes you can't really predict what that's going to feel like. What is, what is adopting containers really going to do to my day-to-day? Like, if I build something with this, how's that going to change just, like, the, how I build stuff, how I deploy stuff, how I troubleshoot stuff, how I do logging? Like, how's that going to change all that? And you kind of have to try it to really know that and to get it in your, get it in your fingers, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same is the same can be argued for like purest serverless architectures, which I don't necessarily know are a good thing yet. Uh, but they definitely change how you do stuff pretty significantly. Um, and, that, and then the same could, uh, could I. be said right, with conditional you know, logic and YAML. What's that? Oh, I, yeah, I write, write conditional logic and YAML. <laughs> yeah, if you're using <laughs> step functions, that's what you're doing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, like all, and, and so that might be just enough for you to be like, yep, we're not, we're not ready for this. I, I don't want to be writing conditional logic in YAML. Uh, let's wait for a serverless to move along a little bit further. Um, so yeah, yeah, very cool. Like I, I just was kind of trying to get at like how you approach this. And I think at the end of the day, it goes back to our main point, this episode about, you know, like being able to. Like what? What's most important is that critical thinking, and not just like memorizing stuff. And anything that you have memorized is like, you know, fodder for the for the trash bin pretty soon. Yeah, or or a candidate to be one of the darlings that is that is take taken out back, right? Exactly, and, and, and done away with. So, yeah, I think you know the thing that I really want to stress is just like it's 
you know, some of the most important things you should be doing is just like, you need to be able to learn new things quickly. And if you're not able to, like, if you can't do that, like that's a big red flag, right? Like you really, you need to take ownership for that and you need to make that really one of your top priorities. And, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, just having that growth mindset, staying curious, being open to, to new ideas, but yet also don't just go listen, you know, follow the buzzwords either. Right. You'll totally get burned by doing that. So, you know, be open and be curious, but also, you know, have the, the willpower, the discipline and the confidence to know like whether or not like this is something that's, that's worth your, your time. Right. Is it, is it worth your commitment to it? And just own your personal development, right? Like no one else is going to do it for you. Um, and just really think of it from 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 that. It's, it's, I think it's just so much more important now than it, than it has been in the past. You, looking forward, we know that AI and ML is it's just going to be a sea change for all industries, including software. So there's a lot that can be automated. Um, and, you know, if you're someone that's not keeping up to date, that's not continually learning, that's not applying critical thinking, that can't connect the dots, then that's the kind of stuff that's really going to be easily automated. <laughs> but you're probably also not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Like All of our listeners, right? Like Maybe they're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Come on, guys. <laughs> you're preaching to the right. choir. Move on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to, maybe if there's... What would be fun is if you could think of one example. I, I was actually just trying, and I don't know if I can do it, but um, of any time you built a system where you got pretty far along and um, you're like, oh, man, that thing could have been so useful if we had used it and it was available, and I just didn't, I just didn't take the time to learn, and I just relied on my existing knowledge and built stuff the way I always do. I wish I would have known about that one thing. Has that ever happened to you? Outside of like this, this thing that we talked about with MobyCast? No, I mean, it just, the, I mean, there's been many times where it was like, oh man, I wish that had been available when I was building it, but it wasn't available for like five years later, right? So mm-hmm. um, it just didn't exist at the time. And there's plenty of examples of that. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as building something kind of in the moment um, and just really, you know, uh, regretting it's yeah. that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, most of the, most of the mistakes, the regrets from have been just in kind of building the wrong thing or having, mm-hmm. um, improper assumptions about users. Um, so there's been some pretty yeah. hard, hard lessons learned there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> like, um, the one, only thing I can think of that's kind of close is, uh, we're going through a situation with having chosen React Native on a pretty significant application where it's just really causing a lot of pain. Uh, as as React Native goes through several rounds of incompatible updates that have caused us to have to do full on rewrites of section of sections of the app for no new user value, and it's not quite the same though. It's like it's not that. Gosh, I wish I would have known React Native existed. It could have saved me all this time if I would have been keeping up. It was actually more like the other end of the spectrum. Like, oh, it looks like all the signals are good with React Native. We're seeing the big companies adopt it. It's got all these good promising things. 
Um, so it's time to use it, but maybe, you know, we've talked about the other end of the spectrum. Don't take stuff on too soon. That's not really ready to go yet. And I think that's more that end of the spectrum. We, we decided on React Native before it really had become something that everyone trusts and everyone says good things about consistently for more than, more than a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a good example because it's, it's, I think it's even a bit more, um, nuance than that because you know for something like react native it's like like it's really good at certain things so if, mm-hmm. if you want like a single code base that targets multiple platforms and a mobile app and you're doing basically kind of like a form based app and not a lot of complexity there react native is a great way to go right and mm-hmm. it's it's absolutely the right choice and i think you know you'll end up being you'll doing just fine but if you are planning if you are going to you need to get more out of it if you need to do more complicated things and more complicated UI things or um, you know you need offline scenarios and and you need uh, geolocation um, services and and just really lower level access um, to the hardware then something like React Native I mean, it's just not going to do well at that right and you're just going to spin mm-hmm. your wheels with that and I, I think. Or just the sheer size of your code base. If the sheer size of your mm-hmm. code base is going to be big and you're going to use some libraries, because you know people use libraries for y- y- different UI parts, like if it's going to be big, uh, probably also not a good idea. Even if it's fairly simple, mm-hmm. you know, like th- it's still not stable enough that uh, you can trust that all your libraries are going to be always, you know, backwards compatible, and you're not going to have to rewrite parts. Um, if it's small, if your code base is fairly mm-hmm. small, then that's not that painful. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, there, you know, the big lesson learned is just kind of really under, like when you do adopt things, just understand like what are their limitations, and you have to mm-hmm. be prepared to make the hard choice of like when do you when do you kill it, um, mm-hmm. and and do some and and basically you've outgrown it, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of like you're living in a two bedroom apartment, and after the fifth or sixth kid, right? It's like <laughs> this is not working anymore. <laughs> we got to go get a house. Yeah, right? yeah, and. So, like React Native falls into that. Yeah, it's not so not quite the same as our lesson of killing our darlings, but uh, yeah, yeah, it does happen where you just build stuff that you didn't that you wish you would have built a different way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention before we close off for this week's episode? No, I think uh, we have uh, we've hammered on the point. Like, stay curious. Make sure you you're just constantly learning, and um, you know, own your personal development. Cool. Cool. Will do. All right. Talk to you next week. All Thanks. Right. Thanks, John. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England, and I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast.